0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by my buddy. Wherever he goes, I go too. Now let's dim the lights and start the show.
1: Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by the SS Minnow. Enjoy a relaxing cruise touring the South Pacific charted on the SS Minnow. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a filmmaker's podcast for the average layman. (laughs) I don't know what that really means, but we are filmmakers who like to (laughs) break apart films and try to see what they're made of, maybe get a little better at this whole process in and of itself. Lately, what's been interesting, so I am, you know, I've been full-time filmmaker for the last eight and a half years. I've been a writer since elementary and editing since, I don't know, I was 25 I'm on the back half of that. <laughs> so I've been editing for almost 15 years now in one capacity or another, but in acting and, you know, screenplays, whatever. And so I've been living and eating, and breathing film for so long, and I'm starting to work. On a new project, uh, a script that I want to develop that takes place in the right. artist community, and it's been really interesting. So I have a, a new intern, Cassie, who's been amazing, and she's probably editing this right now as we speak because on time travel, <laughs> Cassie, we're recording on a Thursday night, and we're, I'm talking to her through time travel on probably a Monday afternoon. And so she has been amazing in scheduling all these artists because if I want to write a film that takes place in the art community. I need to understand the art community. And I I can't draw, let alone paint. Like literally my stick figures are just garbage. I'm, I'm really, really bad. I'm working on it though. I'm, I'm starting to teach myself how to sketch and eventually I'll teach myself how to paint. But before I got into any of that, man, I wanted to talk to artists and understand the the journey of an artist from when does it begin to when do you know that this could be a living and what are the goals and milestones you wanna hit? And it's been incredible, man. I've talked to over 30, you know, artists in multiple mediums. Like I've talked to some sculpturists, a lot of painters, some graphic designers, mostly painters though. But, what I think has kind of confounded me, well, not confounded, but uh, surprised me in, in, in a delightful way it, is that there's so much overlap. And I would imagine even with your own story, like as a musician, let alone as an actor and filmmaker yourself, like there's so much overlap in our stories. Whenever you start thinking about the journey of any creative endeavor, and it's that largely 99% of these people started when they were kids it was just something that they loved to do and they never stopped doing it i was writing as a kid and like i'm sure in some capacity or another you know you were doing music even if you you only seriously started doing it in high school like it was something that you really pursued and i think the thing that has really actually surprised me is how much influence parents have had on their kids and the way they turned out there was a handful of stories where as someone who was, I don't know, 12 years old, they they would make something and how that something that they were proud of and how that was responded to by the authority figures in their lives really did make a massive impact on the next 30 years of these people's lives. Because some people were like, I was ridiculed. Like my my aunt or my mom looked at my my drawing or my painting and they were like this is terrible this you know the proportions are all wrong this isn't this isn't real art and something that they were just so incredibly proud of they suddenly had a lot of shame around and they just kind of put it down for for ages you know as opposed to some people you know had a lot of encouragement from the parents they were drawing and like their teacher were would be like oh this, this your your kid has real talent you should you should encourage this or maybe the parent brought art home with them there was a lot of parents who were artists who would just give their kids all these tools. Like one, one person I was talking to was like, we didn't have a lot of TV in my house, but my mom brought me like a little easel and some paints and watercolors. And that's what we did. we went running around. Like I made sure I had my easel in hand and you know, I was just out painting and all the time and it just grew, you know, even beyond that, once you start getting into like the actual journey, the process, it was all the same stuff that I deal with. I know as a filmmaker who's trying to, you know, make a name and make a career out of this thing. There's there's ups, there's downs, there's people who take advantage of you and there's people who crap on your work and you get to, <laughs> it seemed like every artist I talked to got to this point where they literally stopped caring what anybody said about their work. <laughs>
0: and then they probably made better work. <laughs>
1: made much better work.
0: <laughs> Isn't that so funny because... It's a, it's a slippery slope because you want, as an artist, you want to be, you want to be recognized. Let's be honest. You know, like you want to be recognized for your, not, not necessarily even your talent, but because that's a little bit uh, self-serving, but more for your contribution, right? To whatever art form you're in. Right. But also, you know, it'd be nice to make a living at it where you don't have to wake up and go do a day job that is not in your heart, right? And <laughs> but people have to like it in order for that to happen. And so you start with this I'm just going to kind of make something but I'm afraid to let people hear it because it's it's all about like like am I good? I don't think I'm good and you're not at the beginning. And then but you know, it's the ones that stop caring. You're yeah, right. It's the ones that stop caring about Uh, you know, what everybody thinks. And then all of a sudden their true self comes out and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's weird. It's kind of cool. I mean, this really hits home for me right now. I, I knew that you were doing this project, this, some form of this project, whatever this was, but I didn't know what it was. So it's really interesting. But as you know, I like walked away from music for years, probably like almost four years. And I'm just now this year because well, right before COVID, I started kind of like playing with GarageBand and getting back into it. And I, you know, we we talked about it at length. Like I had no agenda, absolutely zero, like no expectation for anything. I literally did not care if anybody ever heard anything that I was playing around with. And then I just reached out to a buddy that I had once at one point had sold a track to his library. And then he said that they have some they're making another record and do I want to submit some stuff and I was like okay sure and I gave them four songs and they took two and they were like do you have more and I said uh <laughs> not really but I can write more and so I gave them five more and they took two more three more three more out of the five I was like what is going on but I didn't you know I wasn't making anything with the with the con, the thought of like I want to get this these tracks sold or licensed or anything. It was just doing stuff. And it just you know, and I think that like, you know, even the greats, like, you know, you know, we talked about Tenet. You should whoever's listening you should go listen to the Tenet episode. Right? Because the greats at whatever they do don't care if you get it. Right? They they literally like Jackson Pollock does not <laughs> give a rat's ass if you like his painting. Right? And that's part of it, right? That's part of the... Because the other thing is that you're buying the artist, too. You yeah. You're not just buying the art. And so you want to own a Jackson Pollock because the guy was just like
1: all over the place.
0: That's in- very interesting. That That's kind of like a theme that's running through all of your interviews, right? Yeah, it's
1: pretty amazing. and. I'm really excited because the, the character in my film is going to be a, a woman, you know, a young woman that is, you know, discovering her passion for art. And so I have no idea what the runtime is going to be. Originally, I just would be excited if I could write 90 pages. But the more I think about the script, I might end up with 90 pages. That ends up being like a two and a half hour movie just because I want to give a sense of scale and a sense of time that it takes to become proficient, let alone excellent at something, at creating art and I mean I've still so much to learn about the process and some of the technical uh, stuff even just shop talk like I don't know how artists speak to each other mm-hmm. I only know how they speak to me right now and so <laughs> there's still you know just yeah. so much to kind of figure out but even being a woman in, in art is very difficult you you might be surprised at the the number of women that are in museums so one of the things I learned and I'll just give a quick overview of the for me as a filmmaker, I, I know the path that it takes for me to get into like a movie theater and it's not a fast one. probably. There's a few lucky people out there who you know get this amazing first run at it, but my path will probably be the more prototypical of I make a short film or I make a future film, I get into a film festival and then after I get into a film festival, maybe I meet a producer who likes it, maybe they buy it, maybe they don't. But maybe more importantly, I make these connections that they say, what else are you working on? We really liked your your thing. And this is kind of what Nolan did. Like he went and he got the uh, following made by himself on weekends. It took him a year and he got that into a festival. And that's where he was able to go and network and meet producers that said, oh, what else you got? And he made memento. And that's what obviously put him on the map yada, yada, yada. And so that's probably more along the lines of my path of I I need to meet producers and someone who says, what else do you got? So I need to have other things in in my pocket. But After that, you know, that's when you get your real budget. Now I can get my $5 or $10 million budget that gets me, you know, my memento. And then after that, they're like, oh, wow, this guy really has it. Now we can give him, I don't want to do Marvel films by any stretch, but whatever the equivalent of that might be. Now he can do his Batman Begins, you know. And that's this really long, arduous track that is only fit for those who survive it. (laughs) Like, it's it's such a process. And so with that in mind, like for an artist it's some it's there's similar goals there's like okay i'm you you really need to go to school if you don't have an art degree it's so so much harder to be taken seriously as an artist i don't have a film degree i will still be taken seriously as a filmmaker based on what i can produce because art is so much more subjective if you don't have the training they just aren't going to believe that you're serious about what you're doing. They're going to look at you as a hobbyist. And so in order to make it without a degree is so, so much harder and more challenging. And it takes so much more confidence and uh, long sufferings, um, so to speak. But Ideally, you get your degree, then you get your you get your BA, and then you're going to get your your MFA, and then you can be taken seriously as an artist. Wow. Um, from there, maybe maybe you'll get gallery representation. And this is kind of an older form of the art world that's being remade right now with the internet um, and everything that's going on. But traditionally you might get gallery representation where you'll go into, maybe you'll have an exhibit, maybe you'll have shared galleries. This is where you start to build up your CV, which is a big deal in the art world. And then after a very, very long time, and then you die, you might get into a museum. (laughs) The the art museums is where the legends are.
0: And then you die. Yeah, that's
1: right. Uh, And so there's very few living artists who get exhibits permanent exhibits in art museums from what I understand. And again, take this all with a grain of salt because I'm just a researcher at this point, learning the ropes based on bad conversations that I'm having on my part, not on the, uh, the part of the artist. And so art exhibits in museums are just the pinnacle. This is who's who. And so of those, the amount of representation on the high end, I've heard that as many, <laughs> As 11% of those works are uh, women. That's like this pretty high estimation, a more serious estimation that I've heard um, from the Artists Women Association, and I might be bastardizing it, it's the AWA, they put it at 3%. And if you go back, you know, let's say more than five years, three or four years, the the number that was usually thrown around was about 5%. That's probably a high estimate. And so it's pretty reasonable to think three to 5% of these exhibits are of women. And of course, historically throughout history, right? Men made the rules. Men were taken seriously as artists because they had the money. They could do what they want and the training and yada, yada, yada. And, but that still hasn't even changed much in, you know, the last century. Let's be generous here and say the last century of women being taken seriously as artists and yeah, that still hasn't shifted much. And even today, I mean, you think about the rungs on the bottom rungs, there's all the hobbyists, so to speak, or the people who are, you know, just creating art that aren't in, you know, galleries and aren't taken seriously by the art world. That's mostly comprised of women. And then the higher up you go, the the fewer women there are. It's just so tightly held, you know, by by the, the men in the industry. And I'm not judging. I'm not I don't know why that is exactly. I I would hesitate to make, you know, any real guesses at it. I don't want to ascribe evil to an industry that I don't know. So that's not something not a judgment I'm going to sit here and pass, but regardless, it does point out a significant challenge for women who are artists. And so I have to take that into account when I'm writing my script and I certainly plan to and try to try to do it, you know, justice without that's not going to be the point of my film, unfortunately, but it would be remiss if I didn't include that in some shape or form. So it's been incredibly enlightening and I'm having such a great time interviewing these people and so several of them I'm going to circle back with and, you know, talk to again. And yeah, it, I feel like I'm having meeting just a ton of kindred spirits. <laughs> so how many people have you interviewed? So right now I'm I'm a little over 30. I want to say like 31. And I just have heaps and heaps of notes. It's been incredible. I've talked to one person who was in was coming up in New York in the 70s and 80s and 90s in the art scene, which is a crazy time. I mean, that's like Andy Warhol and Basquiat and this guy knew those people, like he was in shows with Basquiat. So that's kind of just a mind blowing thing <laughs> if you're even remotely familiar with the art world. Those are very household yeah, names. Man. And so incredible conversations and some of them heartbreaking um, and some of them incredibly encouraging. I met one person who is a lot like me, like just she has just a ton of hustle, like it's all grit and gristle with her, man. She is just absolutely killing it. By she didn't have a formal education in art, but she's doing it anyway, and she's creating really good art like i I really like her work it's abstract, and she was like these gallery owners, none of them respond to me. She emails thousands of people every week, like between just trying to meet up with every businesses, week every week she's emailing thousands of people. Just to see if she can make uh, any connections like, hey, do you want to collaborate on a thing or, hey, there's all these galleries. Let me email them uh, and see if they'll look at my work and, you know, give me an opportunity to show my work like thousands serious hustle. She's she was like, I almost never get a response from galleries, let alone a rejection. Like they don't even take the time to reject me. So she was like, you know what? I'm going to throw in my own show. And so she rented her own space, (laughs) but hired her own DJ, her own bartender. And she just threw her own freaking show, invited all her friends, invited everyone. She could think of other gallerists. And so she's killing it. Like I, I got a lot of inspiration just from talking to her, man. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And I was able to pass her information on based on other conversations I was having. I was like, yeah, it sounds like these, these other things are, you know, things that artists do. She's like, Oh, they are. Oh, well, I'm, this is what I'm going to be doing this week. <laughs> like, <geez. laughs> so, That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I respect that game, man. It's so freaking cool. That makes me actually want to go to work. <laughs> right? Doesn't it? Doesn't <laughs> that just get you jazzed? It makes me want to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and with that yeah. in mind, what are we going to be doing today? Oh, so
0: today we are covering Shaun of the Dead. So if you have not seen uh, Shaun of the Dead, pause this episode
1: because we will be giving uh, spoilers galore. Heck to the yeah, we're going to talk about uh, a few things, all kind of centered around comedy. We'll touch on some cinematography and revealing comedy through cinematography. We'll talk about editing, comedic editing, and all the humor, apocalyptic humor and all and everything and other such stuff and things and stuff.
0: Okay, so a quick synopsis. A Man's Uneventful Life is disrupted by the zombie apocalypse. Directed by Edgar Wright, written by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Cinematography by David M. Dunlap. Starring Simon Pegg as Sean, Nick Frost as Ed, Kate Ashfield as Liz, and Bill Nye as Philip. Right, that's all. Shake out, Get nice and limber, or not. Now, take another look at the way he moves. Remember, very limp. Almost like sleepwalking. Look at the face. It's vacant with a hint of sadness. Like drunk, he's lost a bed. OK, let's try, shall we? Liz. Um... Nice, good vocal work. OK. Barbara, that's excellent. Sorry, dear, I was miles away. Mm. Das? Uh Come on. Oh. Uh. Okay. It's mournful, sorrowful, you're dead and you hate it. Go.
1: What's
0: uh, better. Ed.
1: I'll do it on the night. This is the night.
0: <sighs> <laughs> what is that? What about yours? Hey, Who died and
1: made you fucking king of the zombies?
0: Oh, oh, not <sighs> Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. Right. Let's all try it together, shall we? One, two, three. <sighs>
1: One of the things I love about that scene so much, so I was an extra on the Grindhouse movie Planet of Terror. This is Robert Rodriguez's, you know, him and Tarantino teamed up to do their double feature exploitation 70s, you know, bit. And Planet of Terror was about, you know, the zombie apocalypse and yada, yada, yada. And being on set and dealing with the uh, the, the extras handler, basically we're, we're like cattle on set, man. Being an extra is the worst but they're like hey we're going to work through how to be a zombie and they similar to her like it was very like let's just discuss what not to do what you're not going to do what nobody on this effing set is going to do is drag their foot like a like a moron like that's cliche that's not what we're doing like instead you know you're a little erratic you're going to stumble around And you're going to gaze off into, and she would have us all do it, you know, in in batches of like five or so and give us notes and, like, okay, good, yeah, fine, just don't be an idiot. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) and so I love her just, you know, trying to get everyone to commit to being the zombie. What did you think? I mean, how many times have you seen this, do you think? At least three, at least three. If
0: not, this might have been fourth. I loved it. It's 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 great. It's fun. It's a it's a, a cool play. When this came out, there were so many, so many zombie movies, and I remember I remember this time because I remember even talking to you about it, thinking I'm so so done with zombies, like it's so overdone. And this is really refreshing. It's kind of refreshing to go back to the zombie time when all these zombie movies were coming out, and 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 actually you know, watch a fun one. That's kind of smart because they they address all the tropes, yeah. you know, pretty much and and call them out for what they are. And I I do like I love how they did the the cuz every zombie movie the zombies are different. You know, you have the zombie in the style of, you know, 28 Days Later where they're just crazy and then you have this which is the polar opposite where they barely move. You know, like I love the first shot the day after everybody starts becoming zombies, right? Where he's just stumbling out to the the store, and when he it's all a one shot, a oneer, mm-hmm. a oneer. When he comes out of the out of the house and then goes to the the store and then comes back, the whole thing is one shot. Well, when he's walking into the store, you see this woman, you know, zombie drudging down, you know, whatever, and then he's in the store for I don't know. 45 seconds, a minute. And then he just walks out right past her and she's not even to the door yet, (laughs) you know? So they're so slow, which allows a lot of comedic timing to happen. And then it also makes it like a much bigger deal if they actually catch you because you could literally never get caught (laughs) unless they catch you sleeping. You know, you're, you're fine. All you gotta do is push them out of the way. They're not strong it's not that big of a deal, you know? So, but because of that, like, so when they first get to the Winchester and they can't get in and they're being surrounded by the zombies, you know, and Ed has, gets a phone call <laughs> and then they have an argument, he has an argument with, Simon, with Sean and all of this is happening when they're like four feet away from him. The zombies are like four feet away from him. And then, you know, in order for Sean to lead them away, he goes through them. He just walks right through the group, <laughs> right? right? It's like that would never happen in any other any other zombie movie but with this they're so dilapidated. That's such a good point you know, like,
1: like because this is very classic Romero zombie rules, right? They're slow, they're dumb, same basically you got to get bit before you turn, you got to destroy the head or the damage the brain. And this is this came in after 20 days later so it would have been easy to like oh let's do the fast zombie thing but he stuck with the classics and you're absolutely right man that is such an easy because he can change the speed based on the necessity of the story yeah like based on yeah. what the scene calls for it's, yeah they're just extra slow right now then later whenever they grab whatever david and so great yeah i love that point
0: that is a good point too, that he can change the speed because the fastest you ever establish a zombie, that's how fast that they go, Yeah, right? Yeah. So, and you're stuck to that. So like 20 days later, they are always <laughs> gonna be that that pace. You're never gonna have a slow one. That's right. You can't, like it just, and it slows down the pace of the film, let's be yeah. honest, right? And, and the stress level, mm-hmm. right? So, mm. and in this movie, because it's a comedy, we don't want there to be stress unless we want there to be stress like for example when the boyfriend the annoying as shit guy gets torn apart right that's stressful and all of a sudden the zombies are all very strong and fast enough to pull him out of the the window at least you know so and then they're fast enough to get around the um the bar and then they're fast enough to to tear open the whole the cellar door right yeah. they couldn't even get through glass for <laughs> a couple of hours right. <laughs> but then at the end, they're tearing through a cellar door. We don't care. No. It doesn't matter. We can establish them as like, at that point, we could have established them as the 28 days later speed yeah. zombies. And it would have been fine because it's the end of yep. it. Right. It's, you can ramp up. Um, that's
1: that's such a fantastic point. You can ramp up, but you can never ramp down. Yeah. And, yeah. and I do love that moment where he gets ripped out because just before then, we really have our very first encounter of horror which is the the genuine horror of losing his mom right she's like convulsing Mm -hmm. as she's dying and sean he's crying yeah he's crying can't let go of his mom and then we have our first real zombie kill which is him blowing the brains out of his mom Like, and it's, and it feels perfect because this feels like the loss of his innocence. The, you know, losing your mom is like the first, you know, there's this kind of old adage. You're not really an adult until you lose your parents. I don't subscribe to that personally. (laughs) I I think I do. Do I mean, it's, I I don't think it's wrong. I still feel like a baby. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, So, but the, the first headshot of the film really starts raising the, the the stakes of the horror because it's right after that, that David gets pulled out the window and they like eviscerate him Like they're pulling out his guts. And it's after that, to your point, like, you know, that's also after the the zombies start ripping up the floorboards. We're okay with that because we've kind of held back all these uh, this this level of drama and this level of tension until it served the story right at the end. And so, yeah, no, it's a really good point about like holding it back until it's it suits the the moment.
0: Yeah. And it, it adds more stress, too, because they're trapped down there. And they're talking about them breaking in and like this is the end and this is gonna be it. So you're we're expecting that to happen, them to be strong enough now. And then once they do start ripping it up, you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm actually stressed now. I've been like kind of like, okay, just hole up in here. There's glass, it'll hold them back, obviously. Right. <laughs> but but then yeah, it just it just yeah, ramps up. So anyway, I really like the movie a lot. I it's a it's a I love those like quick zoom edits cut things that they do a lot i think they do them a lot in like train spotting and other film other british films and stuff you know
1: that's interesting yeah Uh, i I hadn't even considered that because i think he does it so much and so perfectly that to me it's become edgar wright like whenever i watch one of his films i anticipate these moments of these kind of quick zoom edits and he cinematography wise like he's very constantly moving the camera around whether it's like a, a tilt up or a dolly in or just panning around. A lot of these slow zoom-ins on the realizations or these dramatic build-ups, even the transitions. Like he might hard cut from one section to the next and he's gonna begin that next shot with like a wipe-in or a tilt-down or a Mm zoom-in and cut. Like he's always looking for camera movement around the cut, whether that's before or after. He's always trying to create, you know, this very dramatic, fun kind of appeal. And in that way, you don't take the movie too serious. Like all those quick cuts, you know, to create a sense of passage of time when they're in the bar towards the beginning after the breakup. Like they're they're talking and then just quick cuts on them drinking and pouring shots and suddenly instead of like a time lapse or dissolve, that's how he decided to pass time was through quick cuts. Yeah. Pretty funny. And I think that it also makes sense in terms of drinking if you know, if we want to isolate just that scene that's how a night feels whenever you're drinking a lot. It does feel like just drink after drink after drink. And hasn't it been five seconds? Oh no, it's been three hours. Okay. (laughs) That's kind of the way that goes.
0: But that mixed with audio editing, like good sound design, those quick cuts with good sound design is, is how you pull
1: that off for sure. Freaking key. Yeah. You got to have both of those things. And the other thing with those quick edit zooms that I really, really love that he's doing, it builds drama on these meaningless details, and so it's really funny because I think it's kind of an ironic use of the the Hitchcock rule, which is you know the bigger something is in the frame, the more important it is. Except what Edgar Wright is doing is he's creating these very meaningless like moments on. Orange juice, toast, bacon, or eggs. And these are just very common, ordinary things. And so they're not important at all. But we're giving it all this weight in the lens and and doing it very, very quickly. And so it's kind of violating the Hitchcock rule, which we don't maybe as a, a general audience member, you may not understand that it's violating, but... There is this inherent understanding as an audience member, if we're seeing something close up, it's important. And so being forced to look at these really unimportant things in close-up detail and these really weird, quirky edits makes it really funny. But what I also think is, is cool about that is it also shows us what counts for excitement in Sean's life. Because to Sean, this is kind of the this is his breakfast it's very dull it's very boring and it isn't exciting and it kind of underscores the problem with sean that liz is you know upset and fed up mm-hmm. with is that it's not exciting every day is going to be the exact same and and if that doesn't excite you then this is not the relationship she needs to be in
0: well i would argue i would not argue but i i, I totally agree with the whole bigger biggest frame thing and but like him doing that the maybe it doesn't violate the rule just because really what's in focus and what the the main subject is, is the breakfast, the general idea. So it's not the orange juice. It's not just the toast. It's not just the bacon. It's all of it because it happens so fast that your brain doesn't register, oh, orange juice and now bacon, and it registers breakfast, right? And so like by doing these quick cuts, at least my brain is slow enough to (laughs) to register like wait what just happened oh breakfast just happened okay cool but i don't really even get that until it's done i'm like oh yeah yeah right right
1: no that's a fair but, that's a fair point because the number one key to time uh, to to comedy is timing like any mm-hmm. joke the punchline and the timing is what's going to get the funny out of someone that the laugh is going to come from the the timing of the punchline. It's not necessarily the words, though. Sometimes it can just be the words, but timing has such a profound effect on comedy and the response to it that the editing, you know, is creating this sense of timing. And I think you're right. Like you're not really registering what you're seeing until after it's over. And then like the the surprise is hitting you because I think What under, you know, underlines a lot of comedy is surprise, is the, the shock. And I think that's how humans deal with shock in, in meaningless ways. Meaningless shock uh, is where funny is going to come from. And so, like, if someone jumps out and scares you, right? There is this fear, but then there's also this alleviation after realizing, oh, everything's fine. Ha, ha, ha. And it's just all the compounding of these things in a very compressed amount of time that creates, uh, this, hilarity this you know comedy response from us innately i don't know that every single animal has comedy but a lot do and a lot of it does still come from surprise like you can surprise a monkey by whatever a card trick or pulling a coin out from behind their ear like you can still surprise these animals and, and make them laugh in their own specific way and so yeah i think you're right i think there is definitely more to it than just you know the hitchcock rule and a lot of this movie certainly is compounded because even him leaving the house right it's the door the key the lock the swinging open mm-hmm. like it's very boom 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 and it's just like well i didn't see that coming like i thought it was just gonna get up and go and now it's just like it became this whole dramatic event out of nowhere like it's just it's yeah. fucking funny <laughs> so good so good and i do love the long the, those wonders uh because i feel like there's a lot of long takes but really two very good winners, and they're the same thing it's him leaving the house going to the store grabbing whatever his breakfast his treats and then walking home, right? And so the first one, everything's fine. And the second one is after the apocalypse has begun and he just doesn't notice it. And in both of them, he's equally as clueless and not paying attention, right? He almost gets hit by a car and there's there's a guy asking for money. And so he's kind of treating the world in this very blind fashion because he's just kind of walking blindly through his life. And it's perfectly emblematic of his issue once again. And I think a lot of the, uh, the humor of the film kind of comes through the idea of a lot of inappropriate responses to horrible situations (laughs) like they find out. Fine. Okay. We finally realize there's 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 zombies, and they just pick the most ineffective weapons they could possibly come up with. I mean, records. <laughs> records. Like really, they throw a pillow at one point. Like, <laughs> why not? It's just terrible. Why not? Why man? not? Let's see if this works. And even just the the clip that we played at the beginning, imitating zombies to get past them. That's. That's a very bad idea. Um, and the, the the stakes are way too high to be doing this dumb idea. And it's funny that it works like that. That really is a, a really good. And they're just acting right. Because it's yeah. also one of those things that we probably have thought about before Shaun of the Dead. I'm sure we thought of, couldn't you just act like a zombie and get by them? And mm-hmm. so it kind of plays out this very fundamental idea of can you fake zombies out by just acting like one of them? Probably. And going once these. again on the uh, inappropriate responses, he's talking to his mom, right? Mom, have you been bitten? No, but Philip has. Oh, okay. Um, and then Ed walks up. He's like, Is Barbara okay? Has she been bitten? And he's like, No, but Philip has. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, both, yeah. they both are relieved and don't care about Philip. Yeah. And there's so many of these great, unexpected, zombie, apocalyptic moments, like the whole, What if we're so used to following one group of survivors throughout the a film of zombies that we don't usually get the satisfaction of what if there are other groups out there like you? And so they run into their survival reflections, right? Oh, <laughs> and they all have their own iteration of the group. And I love seeing just that quick juxtaposition of them passing each other and kind of nodding and having their one-liner. So yeah, good. So freaking good. I love the mom finding the flowers like in the dumped out trash. I think they're for me. <laughs> I think they're for me. Oh, <laughs> oh you
0: love her so much much oh she's so wonderful she
1: really is she's adorable even that scene in the kitchen right where he's trying to figure out a reason that we can kill philip without breaking his mom's heart and he's like he touched me no he didn't that was uh, that was a terrible lie right? yeah, I'm, I'm sorry it was <laughs> those over the top oh <laughs> uh, yeah. so good the there's this is classic edgar Wright at this point looking back throughout his career He finds these really funny, small-scale humor moments, right? And especially in a big-scale problem of zombies. And we just sit there and watch Sean climb up the steps of a children's slide. And we just sit there and we watch the slide. And it's just tick, 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 tick. (laughs) tick, 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 <laughs> like We have to sit there for like 45 seconds watching him take these four-inch steps. Like, it's so bloody brilliant. Camera camera doesn't move. Doesn't move in the Still it's within the frame. Yeah. Oh, genius. I mean, and even on that same idea with, you know, camera movement playing into the comedy, I love the reveals. Like, you can do a lot of comedy through editing and through revealing. Like, on the opening scene, before there's any zombies at all, we right? We're, we're hearing... Liz talk about how much she hates Ed and she's she's like it's not that I don't like Ed it's not that I don't like you Ed you know and then you reveal that Ed is right there listening and then you go through him talking about how he hates her friends and it's like it's not that I don't like you and we reveal through an edit that her friends are right there listening no it's okay we understand <laughs> <I guess. laughs> it's just this very great re- revealing humor uh is very underutilized i think in a lot of comedies mm-hmm. even whenever he's looking out the and this is you know through the cinematography uh, he's looking out the mill slot and he's not seeing any zombies and it's like maybe it's not all that bad oh wait nope, there there they are and then we just pan over to reveal the you know Just off to the side, there's all these zombies and it's just humor through filling the frame where before it was empty, like it's silly and we don't expect the silliness in these really horrible situations. So that kind of juxtaposition is constantly popping up because instead of usually zombies give us like the hardcore the action guy right the the clever person the ninjas but what if instead of the best people to survive the apocalypse what if we instead have the biggest idiots and so we're constantly laughing at their this dramatic irony of their close brushes with death right the zombie woman is attacking them and they're sitting there taking pictures with her <laughs> And they don't know. They have no idea. And they're also like singing on the street, right? And they're doing this call and response to the zombie not knowing. And so there's a little bit of dramatic irony in here. They don't rely heavily on it, though. They kind of get in and out of that pretty quick. And instead, once they do know, they're still making the worst decisions possible. Let's go to a public space with these really big breakable windows and call that a safe space. Like, this is a terrible idea.
0: so bad and i love that at the end he runs into that same girl that that that, uh, that's like his double i guess i guess it's an ex-girlfriend of maybe so
1: that would make sense
0: possibly and she's like is this all that's left (laughs) because she obviously got everybody to everybody
1: was safe she got all her people out (laughs) yeah she got all her people out oh Oh, that's right and it's so it's so good because she did get to see all the people that he had that he was in charge of Um, and so Sean was just a terrible leader (laughs) so bad I also I I love that you know uh, the you know the whole section with Queen playing and the lights flicking on and off and they turn like the uh, the zombies into like this uh, music video it's like a bad zombie music video where they're supposed to be hiding instead like they're just sending out these signal flares of hey here we are (sighs) So bad, but also it goes into the the best laid plans, right? I love the the iterations of tell us what they're going to do, lay out the plan, and how simple it's going to be, right? We're going to go to mom, we're going to kill her boyfriend, we're going to rescue Liz, and then we're going to hole up in the Winchester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, ding. And they go through several versions of that, and then none of the plan goes to reality. And this goes into you can't show us what you're going to do and then execute it perfectly, like things have to go badly and like he goes to his mom's, he can't kill Ed. And then like, they, they don't even have the car, his buddy wrecks his car. Like everything is going wrong. And in fact, Ed doesn't even get out of the car. He's, he's not even trying to help Sean and all along the the path, like things just keep going badly. And that is just the perfect, you know, you can't see the same thing happen twice rule in its essence. But yeah, I mean, that's, I really didn't have many notes. I kind of just kept watching. I think I also just enjoyed yeah, it. I just enjoyed it. Like I did have to adjust though. I would say 20 minutes in, I was like, man, I thought this was funnier. And then I realized I came in here with the wrong expectations. Like I built this movie up too much instead of just letting this be what oh, it is. Oh no, instead of uh, just watching it. Yeah. And then once I kind of relaxed back into it, I really enjoyed the hell out of it because It's funny, but it's not like pee your pants, you know, funny. It's just a really fun movie that's making light of the zombie apocalypse. I wouldn't say it necessarily makes fun of zombies so much as it makes the situation lighthearted where it should be really, really serious because these are serious zombies. There's nothing about the zombies that they're never not serious. Like they could end your life. These, these zombies aren't like playing into the gags. They're playing their part the whole time there's other zombie films where zombies don't necessarily act like zombies the whole time maybe they'll you know wink or do something silly but that's never the case here
0: yeah and and they show you that when they rip the guy apart. that's
1: right (laughs) brutally
0: and that that needed to happen you know you had to have some kind of stress you know in a zombie movie even if it's funny you gotta have some kind of you know how are they gonna get out of this you know put them in a situation that you can't imagine how they would get out like that it's
1: got to happen yep it's perfect yeah and and he set it up it doesn't feel it never felt cheap to me that you know she comes in with the the team because her game plan all along was you know let's let's do the smart thing and I forget where she says that she's on her way to probably was something like the police or something but yeah and I love how much judgment she has and when she's like where where are you going Uh, the Winchester (laughs) (laughs) oh oh
0: uh, okay (laughs) And the look on his face when she asked if this was all that was left at the end was just like so, <laughs> oh, so depleted. It's all shame. But it was, and it it was a wonderful, it was a little wonderful that he had Ed as a pet at the yeah. end. Because <laughs> you just love Ed,
1: right? How can you not? Oh, man. I will say, I was surprised when I was putting together the show notes that this was written by Simon Pegg and, and Edgar Wright. And so I'm pretty sure Simon Pegg got first credit. Normally, first credit is the person who does the bulk of the writing. And so in the the credits, although that might be alphabetical, I would have to check the movie listing. But regardless, I thought this was entirely Edgar Wright's baby, but I guess this was him and his old buddies uh, just kind of coming together and saying, Hey, cause he made space, which was a, a British, I, I think it was BBC comedy show for like a season with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. And they all worked on that together. But what I love, so this, but this was his breakout film. This was to me, I'm sure he did like TV movies or something, but this was the first movie that, you know, put him on the map. And It was a smart, smart decision. Like, I'm sure he could have written Hot Fuzz and some of his other, you know, World's End. Probably not Scout Pilgrim. He would have needed the budget for that. But he could have made some of these other films. But he made this one first. And as a filmmaker, I'm trying to look at his career and take notes. And he picked a zombie comedy. That's pretty accessible. Not to say it's necessarily easy. Not necessarily easy to make and get easy to get people to pay attention to, but a lot easier than trying to come up with your own comedy that this has such low hanging fruit that hadn't really been explored to this point. And he said, what can I do that's going to get noticed that I can get some funding for and will be easy to execute. And he just, he picked a hell of a movie. He got great actors, wrote a hell of a script, made it pretty tight. I mean, this is an hour 40 minutes with credits and I mean, he is execution. A lot of it came into execution. Let's write some, a few funny jokes. I don't think, like I said, this isn't like wet yourself funny, but the characters in there are very, very good. Like you love Sean, you love Ed, even though you kind of hate Ed and you realize that this guy's a jackass. He's doing everything wrong, but at the same time, you just adore him. You're like, he's, he's a jackass, but he's a lovable jackass. I think we all have some of those people in our lives. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> not every member of my family. Uh, yeah. You know,
0: one of the things, and I think we talked about this, I don't know if we talked about it on air last week or if we just talked about it afterwards, but, you know, it's also, it's also, there's a difference between a creator and a publisher, hmm. right? You can have an artist who creates a bunch of stuff, but doesn't put it out there or somebody who just never finishes anything because it's not good enough, Right. Or you could have somebody who just makes a shit ton of stuff and puts it all out there. And usually those people that just do a lot are the ones that are successful. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, you and I, we sit back and we're like, we want to make something. We want to make it perfect. Like we want to make it like, so I can put my name on it and be proud of it. But 99% of people, 90% of people, don't know the difference between our eighty percent and our hundred percent. That's so true. They just know if it relate, but they just know if it relates to them or not, right? And so, it's it does you know somebody who is eighty percent our talent, could do something at hundred percent, and it would be the equivalent of us you know spending, you know a hundred less hours on a project. I'm just putting it out right, and so really I think that we should take a lesson from. Because I'm sure that Edgar Wright <laughs> would have liked to do, have done something a little with a little bit more sustenance and meat, you know, maybe for his first film. But in order to get the attention, just like all of these artists that you've been interviewing, you know, to get the att- What will get attention? Zombies right now are huge. And comedy. I've got Simon Pegg in my pocket. And... What's, Nick what's, Frost. Sorry, Nick Frost. Thank you. In my pocket. And they're excellent together. We're going to, we're just going to do this. Let's do this. Oh, you have a screenplay that you've been working on Simon. Yeah. Let me, let's work on that together. Let's make that, that will be accessible. And that leads to something else, leads to something else, leads to what I really want to do. So it, that's just, it's just really interesting. It, the interviews you're doing this, the his first film, you know, me like un learning that like most creators are that are successful are pro, are actual producers they actually produce a lot of, of content mm. or a lot of whatever it is that they produce, art, songs, you know whatever, films, just makes you think, just do it, just do it, like you know okay what do you think what do you think will get the most eyes, right now, you know at one point it was vampires. You know? Okay, let's make a vampire movie. Let's just do it. Like, I know it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but let's just do it. Let's put something out. Let's put a cool spin on it, right? Because really all it is, is like we're taking something that's boring because it's been done a hundred times, and we're making it fresh in one tiny little way. And that one tiny little way is what you're bringing to that. Right? Yeah. So, anyway, like, that. that's just crazy that yeah, you're right, that he picked this kind of genre to go down for it's 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 insane
1: it's smart i mean yeah i think everything you said is dead on just to analyze and say what could possibly put me on the radar and fine i won't be the most original human being on the block but i can put my own spin on a popular whatever genre and just make it my own like what does this mean to me what do i want to see that i haven't seen before Let's do that. Like, I'll bet, I'll bet you, you're so, you're so good at writing. I bet you could take something
0: that has been done a hundred times and like a, a type of comedy and make it dramatic, right? Mm. Like, you could totally do that. You're a really good dramatic writer. Like, that would be, that would be interesting. It might not be the 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 meatiest thing for you to create, but for me as a view, like, I would like to see that. You know i would i would run to a theater to see that kind of thing it's that is it's a different way of looking at creating something i mean i'm i'm saying this for myself yeah. too there's a lot of music i don't want to make but i need to start making it you know <laughs> double down you know double down on your weaknesses not your strengths right let's balance it balance yourself out
1: that's so fascinating I, I hadn't even thought of trying to look at comedy tropes and seeing how to dramatize them that's really fascinating i mean because i was just even watching this movie i was debating you know what to put as my recommendation for the week and i was like oh you know what this movie is kind of but not really it's getting right into the bromance category and i was thinking about recommending i love you man because that they all they did was take a romance and make it a comedy by just making the guy two guys who are you know yeah. quote unquote falling in love and they inserted every single romantic trope that they possibly could cram into that movie and they were just like yeah it's it's not a romance but it has all the hard marks of a romance it's, it's just buddies it's just two yeah. guys falling in love as friends <laughs> like <laughs> it is really but reversing reverse engineering or at least uh thinking of the opposite of that let's take something that is comedic and or whatever like it could be i get what you mean like there's so many genres and you know styles and subgenres to to play with like why not take a i have no idea a heist film and make it into whatever uh, a zombie film i don't know but yeah, no, that's a, that's a really interesting concept. And I like genre collapsing anyway. A lot of the films I work in I that I'm working on, I try to think of how to uh, combine genres in unobvious ways. Like I've, I've often wondered like courtroom dramas aren't as popular as they used to be. We used to have a lot of, you know, A Few Good Men's and whatever, those kinds of films and Runaway j- Jury and tons. And they just kind of fallen out of popularity. And I've always wondered like, what would a, courtroom drama look like if it was set in like the streets, like let's, let's take some of these same elements of there was a crime and now, you know, there's, there's evidence presented and there's someone who's innocent that needs to have someone represent them. And you could take these elements of a courtroom drama and use that, you know, you Categorically uh, and strategically in in another setting, whether that's you know kind of a inner street you know setting or you know wherever. I mean, this could take place technically yeah. anywhere. But there's certain genres that I also like. I like you know inner city films and uh, urban urban settings. And so there's interesting ways to combine and collapse genres in ways that would make them fresh again. Anyway, good idea, Definitely. man. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. so last comments or are you going to throw out what your recommendation of the week is
0: Uh, last comments just, just I really like this movie a lot it's so much fun I, I completely recommend it to anybody go watch it and enjoy it I mean I could watch it
1: again right now and enjoy <laughs> yeah. it you know it's just I technically really, did while the show has been going on. I've had it in the background. I'm like,
0: Oh yeah. You've been watching it. Yeah. Yeah. That ed. Uh, yeah. So my reco, I'm going to recommend just because, you know, we'll stay on this, the scary train. Cause it's October. I'm going to recommend get out. Ooh. It's yeah. Really. You know, everybody, you know, was screaming about that film and, and I went and saw it and it was one of those films where it was like, wow, that wasn't what I was expecting. And then, as time has gone on, I've and I've digested it a little bit more. I'm like I just like it more and and kind of want to watch it again to see how I feel about it now because it's not just a, a scary film. Like there's so many other hidden, you know, like themes weaved woven in there um, and it's definitely a heady film where you wouldn't expect it to be. So,
1: yeah, very nicely done. I am also going to stick with the horror theme and I stumbled on, I randomly hit play on this movie that had Kiersey Clemens in it because I really liked her after watching dope the first time ages ago. Every time I see a movie with her in it, I'm probably going to hit play. Like I saw heartbeats loud a while back and I really enjoyed it. It's a sweet little film and I recommended that ages ago and So I hit play on this creature feature called Sweetheart. It's streaming on Netflix right now. And it's simple. It's like an 80-minute film. You're in, you're out. And she's very compelling to watch. And it's I don't see a lot of creature features anymore. Like Most films, I feel like, in the horror genre right now are very ghost-like. And there's some kind of apparition or big power or something. And it's fine. I'm not saying they're bad or whatever. But... I like a good creature feature. And so this one took me by surprise. I was just kind of watching it. And I'm like, what is this animal, you know, kind of thing. And I would say if you hit play and just don't walk in with massive expectations, it's probably a million dollar film. So go in with very, very small expectations. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's similar to Get Out. It's a Blumhouse production. Blumhouse is pretty well known for their horror films. They do it well. Yeah, Izzy had me watching The Invisible Man a few weeks ago. Another Blum, oh, Blumhouse. Oh, is that a Blumhouse yeah. film?
0: is it good i well i guess you're not allowed to tell technically me
1: technically not but i would say you w- you won't be wasting your time if you watch it okay yeah. okay yeah,
0: yeah. all right because <laughs> man it's such that's interesting because it's such a it
1: looks like a paint by numbers film it really does and it's not okay all right okay all right. Yeah, so you got two for the price noted. of one <laughs> noted okay cool yeah here you go there you go Nice. So stay tuned. Next week, we jump out of comedy genre of of the month for horror. And instead, we dive into World War Z with Brad Pitt. Yeah, baby. That's high octane comedy. (laughs) Or not at all so yeah tune in we'll, we'll be covering that very excited we've been I've been wanting to do that for ages and I know you have to. I've been kind of saving it yeah. because once, once we've covered it it's over <laughs> so.
0: uh, yeah. we've, we have been talking about maybe doing that for yeah. a while haven't
1: we? super excited and yeah. I will tell you about my experience of being in the same room with Brad Pitt it's, it's very humbling and it's not something I want any man to ever go through <laughs> <laughs> You'll tell us that next week? I will tell you that next week. Don't let me forget. Oh, it's,
0: man, I cannot wait. I didn't know that you uh, I didn't know that that was an experience you've had. brutal. Uh, so sorry. S- so sorry. S-
1: subscribe, review us on iTunes. Um, leave us a note if there is something you want us to talk about that's not Brad Pitt related. You know, please do so. <laughs> if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at the PestlePodcast.com Sean of the dead.
0: So the quote of the day we'll leave you for, with is from George Romero. If I fail, the film industry writes me off as another statistic. If I succeed, they pay me a million bucks to fly out to Hollywood and fart.
1: (laughs) He's not a man of complex words. No, he just kind of you <laughs> just lays it out there. I mean, and I get puts him in you there. get what he's saying. right? Obviously, that you know, it almost doesn't matter what you make next. Uh, if you make a successful film that makes money, um, that then suddenly they care about you and they'll let you make something else. And even if it's bad, they'll they'll as long as it makes money, that's all that matters. I mean, we we certainly covered some stinkers in the past, but they made money, and so they're going to make sequels. And I, but I love the, to me, the more important part is the first sentence, right? If I fail, I'm just a statistic. They don't really care. But if I succeed, the risk reward isn't as big as you think. And I found we're going to have a lot of Romero quotes because this guy was just had amazing insights and thoughts. So be prepared. We'll have another one next week. <laughs> okay. All right. But I cool. love just that, that kind of freedom of you know, if you fail, you're just written off as another statistic that you're just one in a million. Of course you failed. Why wouldn't you have failed? But if you succeed, that's where all the that's why not? So it just kind of gives me this freedom of just fucking go for it. If you fail, no one really cares. Yeah. The, the upside is, you know, you you might get paid to, to make stuff that you love. And that's incredible to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, why worry about the shots you didn't take? Yeah.
1: Michael Jordan.
0: So good. There you go. Anyway. This has been great, man. I really enjoyed this episode. Thank you guys for joining us and for listening, and maybe watching if you're on YouTube. Uh, like Wes said, please make sure to review us on iTunes, uh, share us with your friends, all that stuff, and let us know what you'd like us to to cover. If there's a film or, heck, even a TV show, please don't make it eight eight seasons, <laughs> uh, whatever. Just make make a suggestion, and and maybe we'll do it. We'll probably do it. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Thank you.